morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be here and such a privilege to stand before you. Um, last week's message, for me, I really felt encouraged by. Um, there was a, it was a word that I felt for a long time for the church, and it was put together very well, and that kind of forms the, the basis of what I want, and almost the next scripture interprets himself, keeping that in mind. So, if you haven't listened to it, please do. And if you have, listen to it one more time. Because um, it really, there's a lot in there. Um, there's a really lot in there. And I almost felt when I listened to it for the first time, because I've been dwelling on this word that I, that I it's, it's the longest I've dwelt on a word that I've delivered before. It's the longest I have meditated on it. I've tried to soak in it. And then after last week, I felt like, now I can just do a mic drop and leave. God has already said everything that he wants to say. He already set it up, um, put quite beautifully. And then what happened after that is there's a prophetic word that came uh, through a prayer meeting as well. And both of those things just made me stop, consider, and change direction a bit. So, so this morning, I um, almost want to say this is the most I've prepared for any message before, yet I'm the least prepared for what I'm going into. And there's a very specific reason for that. Yeah. So I think in that context, I just want to share the prophetic word first that was, um, that was given. So there you can see the, the beautiful picture. And that is the, the picture. <laughs> so, I saw a church leader with his followers tending and making beautiful the straight paths that they were traveling on, planting and manicuring the flowers and bushes on each side, and making the path attractive and pleasing to the eye. This hard work was deserted by rocks and boulders being dropped on the path forcing them to divert the path in many directions. I just made a quick summary to make it a bit shorter, just while I was talking about that a little bit. Um, so normally when I prepare a message, I like to, I plan it out quite well. I, I write what I want to say. I look, I know for me it's about 100 words is about um, a minute in terms of talking. So, so now after Sunday, I started writing. It's like, okay, now I'm ready for my, I've got my introduction written down. And now I can start talking around the point that I feel God is putting in my heart. But then it was already 2,100 words, which then equates to 21 minutes. And I'm like, no, this is, this is not going to work. Um, because... I try and talk the way that I think. I like to make the statement, but I, I like working with maths, and I like working with logic, so I would like to try and prove to you the point that I'm trying to make. So that you know, and then I try and do a little bit of a practical application, uh, or a little bit, but sometimes my messages, because of that, my messages are normally quite small in terms of what I'm saying, 
but it's something livable at the end. And I just felt with what I was trying to say, I can't say it in the way that I normally do because I won't have enough time. So because of that, there might be things that you will think, maybe there needs to be a bit of extra qualification or things like that. So this morning I'm steering away from what I normally do it. Normally I want to talk a lot more about the point but, um, and do a lot more qualifications. But this time, I would like us to, to keep that in mind and maybe discuss that afterwards. If there's something that you think needs a qualification or something you'd like to discuss a bit more, that didn't make perfect sense. That is a lovely discussion to have, I think, afterwards as well. Um, so one of the things, or the ideas with the prophetic word, and that's also the reason, one of the interpretations, but it was also open to say there's, there's a bit more going on here. And that's the way in terms of we prepare and we preach, et cetera. And that's the reason why I also responded to that in saying, I want to be faithful to that. Um, God has already said what I wanted to say up to that point. So I'm going to leave it to the Holy Spirit in terms of what he wants to say. Um, that was a little bit of a beautiful journey because God gave me a word then specifically for this morning. And so far... It's so beautiful when you see everything, every word that comes. Um, like this morning, I was like, okay, I need to be in the prayer meeting because I know that is where I need to be beforehand. All the words there weaves in with a message. Um, all the prophetic words that came up this morning, it all weaves in beautifully, although it's like a thread, like a silver thread. Let's go through it. Although you might not see it, for me, that was like encouragement for God saying, that is the right direction. That is what he wants me to do today. That is the message he wants, um, he wants us to hear. Um, so with that, I'm going to jump straight into the scripture. Galatians 1, Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, with, Mark, with, with what Mark was sharing last week, this kind of verse interprets itself. And it may be a little bit different than what we would expect if we read it the first time without taking that into consideration. So just some things I want to highlight with that is that when it says a person's overtaken, in any trespass, then, then I would say that overtaken in a trespass is when a person's flesh is doing the leading and not the spirit. Yeah. And there's not much more I can say about that. So, <laughs> then it goes on, you who are spiritual. And a lot of the writers, when they, when they say well, you are spiritual, they're a little bit confused. Why is Paul using this language? And when I read their confusion, I got a little bit confused. It's like, haven't you read the scripture just before that? <laughs> um, because you are a spiritual as those people who are led by the Spirit. Very clever play on words, but very accurate. Okay. And restore in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I, I, I don't want to go down the bandwagon of church discipline because this is actually not what it is about. Um, a lot of people would use that and say, 
now we can, you know, tell other people their faults. The problem with that is when we take that attitude, we become the judges. Okay. When we become the judges, we are not the ones who are spiritual. <laughs> then we are the ones overtaking the flesh, and later on you see it actually says, well, lest you be tempted, because then you're actually the one. It kind of makes sense in, in that regard. So what does it mean to restore in a spirit of gentleness? Well, for me, it is not a reprimand. It is not, it is more a case of restoring. It's a place of bringing back. And not a place of judge. If there's a judgment next to it, then you're on the wrong side of the equation. And what is really interesting is actually that scripture itself is speaking to the person doing the restorative work with someone else. It's not talking to the person who is being restored. That is not the object of the scripture the, 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 or the subject of the scripture. The subject of the scripture is the one doing the restoring action. Then we carry on. 6 verse 2. It goes, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that burdens is not some of it is talked in verse 1, where, where someone, you can say, has fallen, taken over by the flesh. But this is also to do with, with life's burdens. This is to do with, with when things goes hard, when things are hard, when, when we struggle in life. Um, but what is this law of Christ? Are we not free from law? Didn't grace and law had a nice, like a battle, and grace got out of top? And that, that makes me think, and that's why I put the next one together. Uh, you can imagine this uh, old, old games like Street Fighter or something like that. Yeah. Law versus grace. Round one. There we go. Law versus grace. Round one. And then, like, super combo, grace. Romans. One, two, three. KO. Match one. And I think sometimes that is how we, we think about law and grace. That grace has now trumped over law. So let's talk law. The first thing I want to say about law, and I've this is something I've really meditated and thought about a lot, is that not all laws are equal. Okay. There are, for instance, you think about the scripture in Matthew, I think it's Matthew, um, where, where a teacher asks him, you know, Jesus, what's the most important law in the Bible? And Jesus goes like, and now, if I was that person asking that question, or if I need to answer it, what will I do? I will actually go like saying, oh yeah, maybe let's look at the stuff that was written on stone, because, you know, they should be most, they were written by God with his finger on a tablet. One of, two of those, one of those, that should be, right? Um, but how do you choose one of them? You can't really. And, and for me, that was a masterful, a master-crafted answer. Why? Because Jesus actually quoted two other laws that's not part of the Ten Commandments. 
And so well so that most of us think those are the first two laws in the Ten Commandments, which they're not. They're actually laws outside of the Ten Commandments. But it's a beautiful explanation of the law because what we want to look at is that, I mean, it's love your God, basically, and love, love each other. Those are actually two laws, part of the 613, I can't remember, but there's, there's a lot of laws written, and it's part of those, those laws. Um, laws are also separated in three main categories. You've got your moral law, you've got your ceremonial law, and you've got your civil law. Okay. Now, your moral law of what, when I read through the law, quite a long read, um, but they all stem, what I could see as I go through, they all stem from the Ten Commandments, but they are interpreting it, they're explaining it for the people at that time within the rest of, of the ones. When I looked at the ceremonial law, it seems like all of those has been fulfilled in Christ's sacrifice, obviously, and they look at civil law, and it's like, how do we interpret for the society at that time how to live out the law? And a lot of times people will look at the civil law and say, that doesn't make sense. Imagine we need to do those things. You need to do food in this way. And I actually don't know, probably should research a bit more, what is the reason for all the civil laws? What's the reason for the hygiene laws? What's the reason for this? And I'm sure there's very good reason for the specific laws for those people at the time. Even saying that, if we look at the law, the law was placed with the Ark of the Covenant. Only the tablets of stone was placed in the Ark of the Covenant. The others were not. The others was placed on the side, not in the center. And the way I like to think about it is actually saying that you've got some ones that is meant for the people at the time. Okay. So, I already dealt with the heart of the tablets of stone. What I really like about the law and how Jesus treats the law is that he gets down to the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. Whenever Jesus speaks about the law, he speaks about the heart of the law. Even that answer in the end, what did he get to? He went into what is the law supposed to accomplish? What is the law meant for? What is the heart of the law? And the heart of the law and the letter of the law is very different from each other. Is the law good? Okay, but is the law not a curse to us? So, interesting question. Okay. The law is good. And to us, quick thing, just I'm jumping ahead a bit, but to us, the law is not a curse. Okay. So I want to talk a bit about a balancing act. Um, this is something I thought of quite a long time as well. I've dealt with this actually for years now. It's not, it's not a, with each of these slides, I can actually spend <laughs> a couple of hours talking. And if any of you like to talk about it for hours, I love to talk about this kind of stuff. But I want to talk about the Balancing Act. Um, 
going to come into the prophetic word. Okay. The first thing I'd like to talk about is the WWJD. Do you know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? Okay. Uh, when I was a little, when I was a, not a little teenager, when I was in grade 11, grade 12, uh, that became the craze. I remember in youth, and then I also wore this little bracelet, you know, what would Jesus do? And so the idea is this, right? You would, is, is, is it a good idea to do what Jesus would do? It is a good idea, right? Okay. I think so. So I had this bracelet on, and I was very eager. I wanted to please, I want to do the right thing. Okay, who wants to do the wrong thing? Okay, <laughs> I wanted to do the right thing, so I got this bracelet on. And now the idea is, this is a reminder that when you face any decisions or when you need to, not just face decisions, but just a constant reminder, it's like, in that situation, I need to think about what Jesus would do. I need to balance out these options, right? And then decide what will Jesus do in this situation, and that's what I need to do. And next thing in life comes along as a teenager. What would Jesus do? I don't know. <laughs> but I need to balance it. Because now I've lived with a new acronym. My acronym being, what would Jesus do? So that was the acronym I tried to live by. And I can tell you it became exhausting. Uh, it came to a... Because basically it, it boils down to is do everything right. Everything that you do, do it right. And I want to do the right thing. Did I end up doing all the right things? No. Okay. Uh, I, I couldn't. So it came to a place where I removed the bracelet, although I wanted to do things right. I wanted to live with an acronym. I couldn't. I had to take it off. So if you were, if you were in my parents' shoes, or the pastor that I would go talk to. And I'd tell him, look, look I've got this bracelet on. And I, I, I just had to take it off. I just can't handle this. I, that's probably the right thing to do. I mean, that's a very good acronym. It's, it, it all sounds right. But I just can't live it. What would our advice be to such a young man? And this is what I want to get to. The theology of balance. Okay, because this is advice that I got. This is advice that even nowadays I hear people give. And that is the theology of balance. Because didn't Jesus say, and all things have balance? Isn't that a good theology? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I was actually trying to look, because Jesus gave me the strong word in saying, this idea of balance is not from me. And I believe it strongly, but I was like, man, what if I'm wrong? You know, this, this is what I got from God saying, this idea of balance is not from me. So then I went and I tried to do a study. Let's find in the Bible where God talks about balance. So I can find two things. One is where it talks about having proper weights to measure within the law, you know, so you don't cheat. Okay? But that's not talking about balance in terms of life. I need to balance things out. And the other one that is close, but it's actually saying the opposite, 
is where it says, you know, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to cry. That song comes to mind. But when I think about that, that doesn't sound like balance to me. Yes, it mentioning the two different things, but it's a time to laugh. I'm not crying at that time. At this time, I'm off balance. There's a time to sow, and there's a time to reap. They are, they, are, they are different things. They're not the same thing. I'm not holding two things in balance. I'm doing one thing specifically at that time. It's not a balancing act between different, two different ideas. And that's the closest I could get to the idea of balance in the Bible. Yet, we've got almost a theology of balance in our mind. Um, grace is a very interesting example of that. Because sometimes people call it balance, and sometimes they also talk about a pendulum. When grace came, wonderful. The pendulum swung. Everyone heard that before. The pendulum swung too much in this direction, and now we had to bring it back a bit. And I, I find that very difficult, because I, I, I don't have a pendulum theology. I don't have a theology of balance. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a bit long on this point, but, but, uh, but I feel this is an important point. Uh, it's that when, when I believe something, and I say I can take that to the extreme, and that extreme is livable, then I think I'm on the right track. When I believe something and take it to the extreme, and that is unlivable, I think, I don't think it's right. And I think what people have had in the beginning, when you talk about grace being far out in that direction, they had a wrong understanding of what grace is. It's not that we went out in this direction and now we bring it back. No, we're talking about two different things. We're talking about two things completely. We need to be out of balance. Why do I say that? Because I want to lean in Christ. I'm going to lean on him. And leaning isn't a self-balancing act. <sighs> I was wanting to bring this out later, but let's do that now. Lee, would you like to come? I do it with Lee because... Um, <gasps> I forgot it. Oh, no, I did There we go. Okay. So... See, it, it can balance. Okay. So I want you to hold that and you balance that for me. Okay. So, so that's kind of the idea of balance. Now, when you look at that picture there, okay, that's a bit of a harder balance. I don't want to, I know she's very capable, but I want to push a boundary, bring some rocks and some sticks and letting her balance that. Okay. But, I actually want to get to this. Summarize it a little bit. But I think this is a word for us today as well, this prophetic word. That is very difficult to live. But that's what we do. And we can say this is, let's say different concepts, but this is maybe the acronym or this is the law. Now, that itself is a good thing. But what happened? I mean, COVID hit. Riot it. It hit us. Riot it. Okay. 
even before the riot hits. <laughs> what happens if we try and balance that? That's very difficult. Norm, sometimes we can try and get it right, but what, what, what I feel is that Maybe we could balance through one of them, but we had a little bit of knocks, didn't we? Okay, life gave us a bit of knocks. And what happened, I think, is that the boulders fell down, thank you. The boulders fell down. Oh no, wait, actually, come back up. I think these things that we tried to balance fell down. And this in itself isn't bad. This in itself is good. But we couldn't balance it. So I want to propose, let's not have a theology of balance. Let's have a theology of centeredness. Hold that now. So, COVID. Not getting the ball out of there. Okay. There we go. Thank you. So, my point is this, even. We hold those things, a lot of people say we hold these things to contention. Okay. And those things are good to hold. But it's not good to hold in contention or in balance. Or in balance. It is good to be centered on Christ. A Christ-centeredness. And we still do those things. Those things are still the things that hasn't changed. Okay. Well, what is the difference? Oh, I should have skipped ahead, sorry. Okay. So, we were balancing those things. Difficult times, drop folders, skip ahead already. Okay. But the difference is, is this. It, it might even look the same from the outside. But it's not the same. When, when, when pressures comes and uh, when, when, when pressures of life come and we're not centered, we're going to have drop balls or drop boulders. Okay. And I think some of us this morning have felt that in our lives. Where we were trying to, to balance things in life. We were, we were trying to balance generosity. We were talking about carrying people's burdens. Now, you're trying to, to, to balance a thing of trying to be generous, but at the same time, you know, living, uh, living life normally because you can't go to the extreme of the one because then you can't do the other one. I mean, you, it is crazy the amount of poverty we actually see around us. And it's crazy the amount that we don't see. I'll get to that. It's crazy the amount that we don't see as well. Um, and I want to contend that Jesus wasn't balanced, that Jesus was radical. He didn't try and hold things in contention. I mean, when, when he was angry, he, 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 didn't, he didn't balance the idea of, you know, I need to tell them what they need to do or... <laughs> He went for it. Whatever you do, he went for it. It wasn't 
a little bit of balance here, a little bit of balance there. It wasn't trying to pull the pendulum back. He was going full tilt. I even want to say that the early church was radical. Or were they balanced? Did they have a balanced theology or were they quite radical for their time? They were completely radical. Okay, that's nice. I don't have to carry on at that point. <laughs> and coming in from what was shared last week, I want to contend that, and I'm going to spend some time on this point, is that the flesh is balanced. The flesh is always trying to bring things back into balance. But the spirit is radical. In the spirit, we are radical. But in the flesh, we constantly want to balance. And I think, I was wondering, why do we have this kind of theology of balance if it's not in the Bible? It's because it's in the flesh. It's in us. Yeah, we, we, we tend towards wanting to balance things. But then why is the flesh, why does the flesh want to go to balance? So I want to talk about something that is close to my heart, the heart of stone. Ezekiel 36 verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Do we have hearts of stone? I know sometimes I do. Um, I know I shouldn't have a heart of stone. But I know I do. And uh, uh, example of this, and this, is, this, this happens with us in the flesh. Um, when I was taking students through to a tour to Grahamstown, we, uh, as we go along, now if anyone knows me, you know that I really hate seeing people suffer. Uh, it's like, it makes me nauseous. I hate not just people, animals as well. When I see something like that, it is for me against the nature of God. It is when a people see suffering, when it really hurts me when, when I see that. So driving along, and we went down the coast, and there's quite a few uh, informal settlements you go through as well, or semi-informal settlements. And, um, and I saw a dog on the road being squashed. And that's early morning now, because we need to be there early, so no one cleaned it up yet. Yeah, and I go, oh. You know, driving's like, yeah, that's, that is hectic. It, 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 it really, my heart was soft. And I drive along. Five minutes later, I see another one. It's like, yeah. And I'm, I'm getting this, 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 this nauseous feeling as I'm driving along. And it's amazing how many dogs was dead on the side of the road. Getting to number 15, I was getting to number 20, and I remember the, 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 the 20 mark. Why? Because uh, as I saw one, it's like, ah, oh, I saw a dog. Yo, I saw two dogs. Yo, I saw three dogs. 20, I just counted. I didn't feel a thing. It took 20 times seeing it before my heart was hard already. 
And now, if I didn't count, look out for it, I probably wouldn't have seen it anymore. And we are the same, dog's egg example, but we're the same with seeing people around us. We are so, and it's, it's, it's natural for us. We see the suffering. We see people in need. We see, we see that. And our natural response is saying, yo, I can't feel this anymore. You know what I mean? And you, you just harden your heart. Even though you've got a soft heart, what happens is you harden your heart. Your heart becomes stone. But God says he will give us a new heart. How does that work? How can we live that out? Now, interesting enough uh, is that South Africa, if you look on poverty line, sub-Saharan South Africa is actually way, 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 South Africa specifically, high up on the list in terms of how many people are poverty in our country. When I read the statistics on it, I was amazed because I didn't see it so often. But why don't I see it so often? Well, partially where I live and where I travel and things like that. But also, why? Because my heart became a little bit hard. You know, I see it, but I don't see it. I don't see it here. So what does that have to do with the Lord? I'm getting there. So law of Christ versus the law of Moses. Oh, look at a scripture. Hebrews 8 verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So what is this law of Christ? And what is, we know what the law of Moses is. But I want to continue with one thing, is that at the beginning was God, and he hasn't changed. He gave us the law, it was there in him. And today, it's still there. But, I want to show you something about the law. Okay. This is what was the law to us. We were under the law. This is the letter of the law. And we are under it. Now, the heart of the law, some people say the law of Christ is just carries each other burdens. Yes. Okay, that's maybe a short summary of it. But, I think, the heart of the law, or the law of Christ, and the law of Moses is one and the same thing. That hasn't changed. The only difference is now, God has written into our minds and placed it in our hearts. Okay, that's all the same law. But, we don't have to worry about the letter of the law anymore. Why? Because now we've got the heart of the law that we can live by. How many minutes? Okay. I want to get into ministry. 
But I want to actually say a quick point before we get there. And that is that we changed from the law was written on hard tablets, and now it can be written on soft hearts. That interplay. And that we need to stay soft. <laughs> Start off. Okay. And the last point is that we need to be spirit-led. Um, just, a, just a quick analogy, just a very practical advice, and I think we can go into ministry of that, but I, I think I, I need to explain this in terms of ministry. Um, so if anyone wants to come up and be ministered afterwards, will they have time for that? Okay. Um, is this, that I can't, we need to be spirit-led. That is very important. What this means, to be spirit-led, is that I'm not the person to solve the world's problems. That's not on you. That's on to God. I'm not the one who spoils myself, who has actually given my life. For that was Jesus. Right. That's not what I'm responsible for. But being spirit-led means this. It's to be able to have a soft heart to hear what God is telling you to do. God is not telling you to go out and help every single person. There was an example here, a prophetic word that actually says about baskets of fruit. Okay. I was talking about a word for people, but also think it's about actually what each person needs is different. I have no idea what people need. If I have a generic solution, I'm just going to make myself poor to help maybe one of the hundred people I'm going to help from here. That is not what God has called me to do. God hasn't called you to solve the world's problems, but he's called you to have a soft heart. Why? So that you can listen to him. He's called us to have a soft heart so that we can go out and actually be his disciples. So here, for instance, with a, with a um, forum uh, where, where we've got now young new entrepreneurs, that we go and solve everyone's problems with entrepreneurs. No, what? God has called them, he's called us to look after them. Okay. Not in a balanced way. Full tilt. And my question is this. Is, is, is your heart soft that you can hear when God asks you to help someone? Let's, let's look around us. Let's see people in need. Let's have a soft heart. And let's ask God what he gave us responsibility for. Let's not take this responsibility on ourselves. And that is why how we can live it in a fulfilled way, not trying to balance what I do with my money. I'm not trying to balance these two different extremes. No. I lean fully into God. I'm fully Christ-centered. And I do fully what God tells me to do. If God tells me to go and enjoy something, to be generous on something that doesn't make sense, to be there Mary and Martha, another example that came out here, to pour all out, that doesn't make sense. That could help people in poverty in that area for how much? That's crazy talk. But God has called us to live out heavenly realities. He's called us to live in such a way that we can experience heaven's blessings not just giving all our blessings away, but still being able to be heavenly blessings to people. Not to everyone. We can't. 
you'll kill yourself. And guess what? Someone died for that already. Okay. And let God have the opportunity to work amongst your fellow people for who they are responsible for as well. You don't carry their responsibility. It's God at work. And God is affecting change. He's, a change. he's affecting change through you as well. So we're not going to sit and do nothing, but do what God has called you to do. And have a soft heart to be able to hear Him in a situation, to actually be soft in that moment, hear the whisper, I can respond and I can go and do.